Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Phanthropological. I am Nick T, and today I'm here with a special guest and a special topic, because today I'm here with Walter Sid Schultz talking about conventions, because, hey, we go to a lot of conventions, and what better example is there of fandom than talking about conventions? Sid, or Walter, or whatever you'd like to be called today. Call me anything you want, just be careful. Just have to run away fast enough I get angry, right? No. <laughs> Uh, people that know me, I'm a big teddy bear. My name is Walter Schultz. I'm a uh, licensed legal professional here in Waterloo Region. Um, ever since the early 90s, I've gone by my nickname of Sid, so it's interchangeable. Uh, yes, uh, anyway, so I've been involved in various forms of everything you can think of with conventions. Even with my very first time volunteering with a convention, I was escorting a high-profile celebrity around. I've done, I started volunteering in 1994 at a show called Toronto Trek. Uh, it would go on to become Polaris in 2007. Okay, see, I, I knew that Polaris existed, and I had friends that had gone, but uh, there was, like, this gap where I wasn't sure if, oh, were they the same thing? Did yes. they? In 2007, they decided in a very interesting way to uh, rebrand, and that's another story I can go on about. It's going to be difficult to go chronological order, so I'll just start with the beginning, and we'll fill in the gaps as I go. <laughs> um, my very first time, I was fascinated because here I am, Hearing about this convention by a good, my best friend in the world uh, says, "Hey, you got to come check this out." Oh, you'll, but I got no place to stay. Oh, they'll give you a place to crash. They'll give you a place to sleep. They'll get you a place to. They'll even have snacks and foods available for you. Just uh, volunteer hours. You have to do a minimum amount of hours, about uh, six or eight hours. I ended up doing about twelve my very first time. Loved it. Uh, I showed up within fifteen minutes. I'm like, I need to be a part of this. This is just amazing. It's enthralling. I love what people are doing here. And I volunteered with security, and sure as uh, sure as heck, I was ended up with a Saturday night uh, <laughs> on a security detail for Majel Barrett. Uh, the very first uh, when you go to a convention, you think of oh, all these celebrities again in the early nineties. Uh, Toronto Trek started in around eighty six, eighty seven. Memory serves. Fantasy, it was a it was a science fiction fantasy uh, convention, but it wasn't solely Star Trek. Uh, at the time, I started going. Uh, so Majel Barrett was scheduled to be there, as well as Nana Visitor, who played. Uh, Major Kira on Deep Space Nine, as well as, uh, I think it was uh, Chris Potter from Kung Fu Legend Continues, which was being filmed in Toronto at the time. Okay. Um, anyway, so I show up and I start talking with people and I find out that Nana Visitor had cancelled. But this is how awesome I found out who, who one of my favorite people ever to attend a convention, Major Barrett, started making phone calls and Mark Alimo, who played Goldicott, the bad guy from Deep Space Nine, Brought him in as a guest, and it was just one of the most amazing guest talks. I was just blown away. But anyway, these are the things that happen at conventions that I just love. I show up expecting to see, hey, I'm going to see, <laughs> I'm going to see me, uh, Nana Visitor, uh, uh, the second in command of uh, Deep Space Nine. That's going to be great. Oh, she can't show up, but the most wonderfully evil character showed up instead. <laughs> and Mark Alimo was just absolutely amazing. And, and, and he showed up on, uh, because of a phone call and, and the work that Mitchell Baird did to help try the help the show and that's what i like about conventions it's all about community people pulling together people helping each other out and enjoying what they do that's an excellent point that we are definitely going to come back to but i did have to i did want to ask you something else about conventions so you you said you've been going to conventions for like the last 20 years or so so doing math uh, i started in 94 uh it's 19 and 19, 2019 now so I, that's 25 years 
Um, 25th anniversary, congratulations. Yeah, where's my cake? Having been to so many different conventions over all the different years, what has changed? Because the world has changed a lot since like the early 90s, and, and I can only imagine that how communities form and how they interact and whatnot that may have changed in the last 25 years. Well, there have been very significant changes. Uh, uh, I would like to say most, many changes for the good uh, and some changes for not, for not so good. Um, I'm, going to, I'm going to pause for a moment and talk about how the perception of conventions have changed. I think it's very important because what I'm about to say is probably going to shock you. I'm going to get to the question eventually, but I think I think the attraction for me when it comes to science fiction and fantasy itself, even before the thought of, hey, let's go to a convention, even before that, the thought of what draws me into watching science fiction is the love of the story. As you, mean, have all, you can have all the explosions and all the special effects, but unless there's an actual story to bite into and draw yourself into it, it's garbage. But again, it comes to having a, a plot that you can really get into, Characters that are engaging, a multifaceted stories that come together, and it makes you want to watch the next episode. And sure, there's a lot of like Star Trek Restoration had a common series where one episode is standalone, one episode is standalone, and then maybe having a two-part cliffhanger. And that also falls into the question about things have changed because now it's all hey, you have to watch the first episode, you have to watch the preceding episode, you have to be able to enjoy everything in sequence to get the full totality of it versus, oh, it's this episode. Oh, it's that episode. So again, when you say you watch how conventions have changed, you have to watch how the entire fandom and the entire media has changed. Everything has been a complete flip. So I'm going to go back to 1994 and 1995, and I'm going to talk about uh, an incident. A major media company from Toronto, which was airing Star Trek episodes at the time, okay, had a, they brought along a newscaster who was on live video, and friends of mine who had just made, um, and who I was still in contact with, they had brought in some props that they had made. And these friends of mine who would later on leave and go on to build props for movies, including um, things like Cyclops' visor for the X-Men movie in 2000. Okay, so they turned their they turned their, their hobby into a career, and they were really good at it. They, they made some props. I believe one prop was a Deep Space Nine... Uh, uh, a miniature model, and, I, and another one was a dolphin from I think from Sequest DSV, which was on that at the time. But to the point, on the live broadcast, this individual who was working for his major media company takes his prop, which is obviously made with a lot of care and and and, and uh, funding, and just practically destroyed it on live video. Is there a particular reason for this? Because he, or? Was, a, because he was a jerk. Oh, okay. Um, I was hoping it was an accident, but no. no, it was intentional. I don't think he realized what he was really doing at the time. Maybe he had something in his brain where it was telling him that he was. This is what this purpose of this was for this. But if you held this prop, you'd know that a lot of care went into this, and promptly destroyed it or damaged, heavily damaged it. So here we are now with going back in the '90s, and again, it's even with the common concept of oh, it's those people that live in basements and. Find a way to make elves disappear, and you see the complete flip. Even with the portrayal of people who go to conventions, and where we are treated by actual media members like that, to having them call up the convention saying, "Oh, can we be a part of this? Can we sponsor you? Can we 
can we get our name out there with you? Complete flip versus, hey, here's these people I can make fun of versus here's these people I can have fun with. Huge difference. And that's with conventions as well. I think now, I th and I would like to, I would venture a guess to say the change happened in 2006. Heroes. Heroes in 19, in oh, right. 2006. Yeah, yeah with, uh, it was on NBC, right? Right. Primetime television. Arguably the historically most popular uh, channel available across North America. You watch the complete change where here's an episode of science fiction and fantasy, primetime, prime slot, heavily marketed, and it was a ratings bonanza. It was bigger than professional wrestling was in the 90s. That's, and that's big. And professional 90s, I mean, I would hasten to say that because, again, you can talk about the Monday Night Wars of wrestling. People, I think people were watching wrestling to see what the companies were going to do to each other, right? I mean, I mean, real life, a real-life double-cross of the unreal world of professional wrestling with what Vince did to Bret Hart, right? And if you're familiar with that. And here's the, the, the Monday Night Wars, people going head-to-head, big sweaty men in trunks pretending to beat each other up, and they're more interested in what's happening behind the scenes. And along comes 2006, about 10 years after those wars were going on. Heroes was just phenomenal. The first season. The first season was just something that just changed television forever. You see these nexus points that change television. Miami Vice, using contemporary music, In the Air Tonight, being co combined with my, Michael Mann's direction and directing these episodes of Miami Vice, changed TV forever. And I believe Heroes was right on that cusp of doing that for television and science fiction at the same time with other well-regarded television shows that changed how we perceived the media and what was our what we're taking as media entertainment. So then we get you talk about conventions changing. Here's 2006, where everyone's talking about heroes. Suddenly, that thing we were talking about, oh, that convention thing. Oh, hey, Comic Con's coming up, and of course, Comic Con was being used to promote the show. New York Comic Con, San Diego Comic Con, whatever these Comic Cons were, they were never nearly as popular as they were prior to 2006. I would hasten to say, I mean, you can do some research. Maybe a little bit before that as well, but you can you can watch, look at look up, um, just do some research and see where all the media attraction was going for these shows prior and post. And I think, and I, I'm this is my argument saying, I think Heroes and in 2006 changed that entire spectrum, and that's where you started seeing the oh it's that too oh it's that. It's all about the inflection on that. Right, and then suddenly you have um, you have media companies starting to really participate in, in Comic-Cons and possibly run them. Uh, funnily enough, you have Zachary Quinto, who's well-known for being like this, uh, what's it, like a sociopath in Heroes. Mm -hmm. uh, becomes Thank a, you, thank you. Yeah, becomes a, a main character in Star Trek. Well, the, the new movies, rather. Mm -hmm. Bringing it back and going full circle. Again, while saying, watching how conventions were going, oh, it's that too, oh, it's that. Um, I would say, I would say around that time too, we started getting more attention for what we did in 2006 and 2007. Um, but I think, because you have to remember too, I was doing security for Toronto Trek. It was never about, for me, it was never about the celebrities. I always liked the atmosphere. I always liked the people. I, I love the, I, I love the community. I love the, the interaction. Right? I, mean, you, I mean, I'll put it to you this way. There's sport, all fans are the same. You talk about people who will sit in the stadium, freezing their butts on bleachers, painting their faces, cheering and cheering and laughing, but they're sitting in these bleachers, watching other people 
do their thing. We're exactly the same, but we're not just sitting. We're just inter we're interacting. We're a part of it. That's the part that I love being a part of. Uh, I mean, we're doctors. We're lawyers. We're legal professionals. We're, we're medical professionals. We're tradesmen. We're of every type of stripe, and we all have very common interests in 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 watching and participating in fandoms that we absolutely love. Uh, and so, going back to watching the change and watching how conventions have changed. It used to be okay. The part that I loved was that at Toronto Trek, I was doing security. Uh, I was a red shirt. We had programming going from 10 o'clock in the morning or even earlier until about 1 o'clock in the morning each day. Friday night starting around 6, Saturday all day until 1, well, technically. And then by Sunday, those who were still alive and who were, who were still doing the work, us dead doggers, it was called the Dead Dog Party, we... Sometimes we'd leave a room at 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I loved it. I would show up at Thursday, help set up. And once everything was packed on Monday, I'd, I'd go home and sleep on Tuesday, go back to work on Wednesday. I have very, I have very understanding bosses, so they, they, they loved how much. They, I think they loved the stories I was telling, too. But when you go to these conventions, uh, one thing I don't like is that the change is that, uh, again, with Toronto Trek and becoming Polaris, there's other shows like Ad Astra, Anime North. I know the people who started Anime North as well. What I was going to get to, though, is that there was so much to do to the point where people were complaining, oh, there's too much to do. You have to choose between panels. Now, nowadays, basically, you go to a convention, it's a giant dealer's room. You walk around with people's displays, and some conventions I've walked out of, including one in Hamilton, uh, poorly organized, where you're, if you're not sweating your you-know-what's off, you're... you're your an elbow in the ear because you can't even walk down an aisle due to poor re arrangement. Um, so that's just a gripe, and it happens. It's not. It's not the. And I, I mention it because it's. It's. It's, it's not the. Uh, it's not the regularity. It's not the commonality. It's. It does happen from time to time where things could have been better. Usually it is. Uh, but. But I do like the conventions where where we actually ran into each other a couple last weekend where. There's lots of programming to do, and I even volunteered to help out with some programming as well. I got to bring some things that are, you know, things I don't really want to bring out in public and share with them with a very, uh, very interesting op uh, 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 an audience and help them see versus what they see on YouTube videos. And that's another important aspect I want to get to. What you see on YouTube and what gets shared online versus the reality of people who actually do the stuff. And again, you talk about the change of conventions, also the internet. The internet. Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to separate those two things because uh, if you're talking about the early 90s, like the internet is in its nascency. And then coming to today, it, it's like the promotion of a convention is highly integrated with the internet. So how are people supposed to know? You can rely on word of mouth a little bit, but like you're fundamentally, it's like, oh, we need these people from the internet to come to our con. We need this promoted on social media. Like, it, And it's not just like, this is a cool con, you should come to it. Because in addition to what you'd mentioned about going from this, oh, it's a bunch of nerds in the basement, to this is actually something that's kind of cool. This is something that's being done by people who, who make the money so you can have this stuff to do and, and, and invent the computers to say things about nerdy people. You know, that's the kind of people that go to these conventions, have gone to these conventions. I have to go find my archives, so I'll have a little flyer from Toronto Trek 8, Toronto Trek 9 in 1995. Because again, it wasn't really advertised, it was never... The internet, even with dial-up, with 33, yeah. 33, 6K bot modem or whatever it was called, 
even getting access to that and having access to knowing what's going on, that was in its infancy. And it was all about word of mouth and, hey, what about this? And, of course, there was a great resource in Word of the Region. It was called Now and Then Books. It was originally on Queen Street. It was run by Harry Kramer uh, and some other people who uh, worked for him as well. But uh, Harry Kramer, of course, has unfortunately passed on. But he had an open board that everyone could see when they walk into the shop, and he would promote shows. Hey, oh, you want your show? Want to know about your show? There it is. And there was events that people didn't know about until they walked looking at that board. He did a great job of uh, helping spread the word of, of the fandoms. And uh, it was it was uh, he was really good for I think very understated for how much he contributed in one of the region. Uh, so we go back to the internet and talk about that. Going even a step further, when you go to conventions, you're seeing people you're seeing people that only see each other maybe once every six months or even once every year. Now it's like I can go pick up my phone and go, hey, yeah. what about this? <laughs> I'm literally looking at my phone while I'm talking to the microphone here. But point is, is like we've got the too much information access versus, oh, my God, oh, my God, I haven't seen you for so long. Oh, hello. Well, and even if you set that aside, it's like, okay, well, there might have only – in the early 90s, there were – Probably a lot of shows. I don't know a lot about that time period. Um, but now there are even more. If you look at a calendar, you go to fancons.com and you take a look at the list of conventions, you pick an area, even southwestern Ontario, probably has like dozens of conventions going on in a month, depending on what you're interested in. Mm-hmm. It's all about communication. Everything is about communication. Uh, I remember watching a movie uh, that was a documentary or docudrama based on leading up to the Persian Gulf War in- Desert, Desert Shield becoming Desert, uh, Desert Storm, and I think it was about the the producer and the news crew CNN that were in the Al Rashid Hotel, and this was dramatized, but it stuck with me. It's Michael Keaton, and he's talking to one of the representatives from the Iraqi uh, from the Iraqi government, saying, "Okay, maybe we don't have to understand each other. Maybe we never will. We got to keep talking. You got to keep talking. Got to keep talking. You got to keep keep talking until we're old men. Because when the talking stops, that's when people die. Now." That sounds a bit dramatic, but it stuck with me because, again, it's all about communication. Everything's changed because we have the ample ability to communicate with each other. So now we have all these chances to have more events, to be people who, have, who will communicate with each other, to actually meet each other and, and enjoy each other's company and talk about mutual interests in person. Uh, and, of course, there is also the self-enlightened interest, uh, enlightened self-interest aspect, as in, like, okay, come to my show and uh, buy this and we can do this. So... Of course, we everyone should have to pay their way in and help it with costs. But you know, if someone can turn a profit at the same time, why not? I'm all for that. I got no problem people making money. I got no problem with people putting on a show. Uh, leading into a topic which we'll probably cover is, uh, I just wish people would do it ethically. I'll give you an example where I come from when it comes to ethics and how I do things. Um, in 2003, uh, that was a very eventful year for me as well. Uh, in 2003. It was the last Toronto Trek convention at a really awesome hotel called the Regal Constellation. It was a legendary hotel. I just, I'm watching your eyebrows raise. I didn't know that it took place at that hotel because that's... Um, I have fond memories of going there, I think, exactly once for Anime North before they moved to they moved down the road. 2003. Uh, yeah, and it also destroyed the building. But I remember having these... It, it's like just the design of the hotel. It's like you go down this hallway and you're in this... And Larry, you go up these stairs, and there's like a little bridge between the two parts of the. the, the it was just fun. It was you're expecting a piece of cheese by the time you're done in the rat maze there, right? Yeah. And um, <laughs> it was uh, it, it had a character. It had it was an amazing place, and uh, that was an amazing year. That year stands out as one of my favorite. That was my favorite convention. 
stands out completely. I had the greatest time ever. So many wonderful things happened out of uh, some, some not so good things happened, of course, the hotel, which leads me to the topic of that. If you remember in 2003, you went to Anime North and then it was the last year they were there. I was actually there as well. I helped out with the masquerade. Uh, I was snake. I was dressed up as snake eyes or a version of it. So a lighter material. Um, and, uh, but the hotel, yes, the hotel was closing, but they made sure to stay open long enough for our show. Once we were uh, cleared out, they were done. It was a very wonderful weekend in many, many, many aspects. Of course, I have to give credit to the hotel itself because they were incredibly professional to the last. Every person I worked with or had to liaison with with situations, it was just exemplary. And these are people who are going to be out of a job next week. And it was nothing short of professional, and they went above and beyond as always. So some people didn't like the hotel. I loved it. I loved it more for the character and the characters within. So let's go back to the story about how my, how my ethics work. I, I like to contribute. Uh, 2003 was also a very banner year because um, that was the year we lost the Columbia, uh, the Columbia Space Shuttle uh, in February. And that tragedy. But one of the things that Toronto Trek does is have a contest to decide on the new logo for each, each event. And the winning logo was by this young woman who created the logo. Based in, and it was a logo honoring the seven astronauts as part of the logo for Toronto Trek. And I believe it was a seven motif with stars. And it was, and they turned it to make it look like, it, and they turned the seven into a part of a, part of a T for Toronto Trek. So it was very craftily done. And uh, I bought three shirts. And the winning, winning entry, she was at the, I, I bought an extra shirt. I had worn it. And then I go to uh, what I'd done is I worn it. And I went to all the celebrities that were there and got them to sign it. And this is where the, Autograph card. The first time I was actually using the autograph card for myself. Because I really don't... Again, I don't collect autographs. I didn't, or I didn't. I go and get... I got Nana Visitor. She was actually there this year. And uh, she actually signed my belly. And I got all the security staff to sign the back. And of course, the back of the red shirt has a bullseye on it. So having fun with Captain over here. Ah! With the red shirt with the bullseye on the back from classic Star Trek. We had fun while we were working, okay? We we had a job to do. We were very professional. We were, not, we were unpaid volunteers. But we took... Our, we didn't take ourselves seriously, but we took what we did very seriously. There's a big difference there, and I'm very proud to be a part of that. But we got all the celebrities who were appearing on the shirt on the front. And I, and I was only there for maybe three minutes, and we raised uh, over $200. The winning entry, the winning bid was the person who created the shirt, the, the logo. First, someone jumped up 50 bucks right there. And the uh, auctioneer's like, hey, you don't have to wait in line anymore for autographs because it's all here. And, oh, and then... I got a picture. We framed it with uh, a poster, a photograph of the winning person who, who won the uh, the uh, the charity auction. Of course, the charity auction was for Ronald McDonald House, so the parents can stay with the kids while they're getting while they're sick. I also volunteered for Beefcake Cheesecake for Casey House at, at Astra, which is basically I go and we, we hang out with it with you know, dress up in very attractive clothing. I didn't wear a thong, thank goodness, but uh, some of the other ladies did. I was kind of like a there for beefcake, but also help as security to make sure the ladies were okay, right? So say I did a double duty there. Um, again, raising money for Casey House, which is an AIDS hospice in Toronto. Uh, again, it's what I like to do. I like to contribute. Like I like to bring into a community more than I take out. So that's where I come from with my ethics. I think everyone has the power within them to make the right choice. Even if it's a small contribution, 
I think everyone has the power within them to give more than they take. Yeah, I think that that's good advice to take to heart. I went to a convention the other weekend in the States. It was called Aren't You Too Old For That? It was talking about growing up in fandom, and it had a lot of really interesting points. And one of the things that I was very surprised by was towards the end of it, the panelists started talking about volunteering and how you can contribute to these cons that you go to. Because their background was they'd been going to conventions up and down the East Coast for the last 10 years, uh, and they'd only this year started to be panelists. And they also pointed out how there are so many different ways that you can contribute. Like it doesn't have to, it can be with your time. You can be a panelist, you can be a volunteer, uh, you can try to be a staff or, or any of those different things. But it can also be with your money. Some conventions offer like VIP kinds of things, and you're, it may seem like, oh, look at all this cool stuff you're getting, but really, it's helping them to continue to run the convention. Oh, absolutely. Again, it's a, it's a collective. I hate to, it's almost like a miniature version of a socialized uh, community because uh, the more people contribute into it, the better it is. So, for example, the panelists, right? At Toronto Trek, uh, there was certain requirements. If you're going to be a panelist, you get you would get your membership for free if you did so many panels. And sure, you can be altruistic all you want, but there's also a benefit to doing it as well. But, I, but in the end, everybody, the greater totality of it, benefits, which I think is great. One of the things that I wanted to ask you before we started talking was about your involvement with conventions because when I'm talking to other people I often try to bring it back to my own experience so that I because that's the only reference point I have I don't know other people's lived experiences I only know my own um, and so I was like okay you know this this person has been to a bunch of conventions and obviously you know started going to conventions at some point and then was so moved that they started contributing more but that's not your story because you told me Right from the get-go, you were doing security the first year you went to a convention. Uh, so I'm still going to ask you the question, but I imagine the context is going to be a little bit different, and that is, how has your involvement with conventions changed over the years? Okay, so that's, that's actually the heart of the matter. Um, I retired from doing, officially volunteering from any convention in 2008. Uh, sequence of events, none of my doing. Uh, sequence of events that uh, also some mistreatment. Uh, and some very, very real-world tragedies in 2008 was what made me say, okay, I'm not signing up and being a part of or signing any documents anymore to help out uh, uh, and volunteer at a convention. But preceding that, I did everything, everything you think of. But mainly security for Toronto Trek. Um, I was helping out with other conventions here and there, you know, throwing out some expertise of uh, my background and such. But... But starting off in 1994 and going all the way up till uh, 2008, it was all about being a part of it and help and being part of the greater good. It was all about okay, I'm not here to watch a show. I'm here to make the show happen, be a part of that to say, hey, I'm gonna do my part to help this out. And I enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that. I took I took one year off. I did take what 2005 off. 2004, I uh, had some stuff I had to go do. I had some business to be done. And it was best that I step aside, make it official. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm acting alone. Alzawat acted alone <laughs> in that respect, or you know, that's that's way too dramatic for what was really going on. But um, to but in 2005, I actually went to shows without working for them at all, and it, it changed my perspective too because it that was the moment where they realized, hey, I'm not running around like a madman doing a bunch of stuff, and I'm seeing how much, how much work actually gets done. It is a complete change. So when you have that indoctrination, when I start up doing this stuff and seeing it from the inside, 
looking out, but being a part of thing. I'm doing my like, helping this person out. Like the small things. In 2006, I was doing security and Jewel State was that Toronto track. Jewel State is the actress who plays uh, um, Kaylee from Kay- Firefly. Yeah. She, she was very. She was one of the, the cast members of the Firefly TV show. Awesome show, by the way. Um, but she was dressed up as Kaylee and had a little miniature doll which had gone missing. And she comes to the security desk, which I was manning at the time. And, and uh, she's like, I was upset. Go, you, if, if someone finds this, can you get it to me? And I'm like, I need to go look for it. And I go, okay, we'll listen. We'll, I'll put that on the radio right now. I'll see. We'll get people looking for it. I'm pretty sure it'll get turned in. But um, Jewel State's only going to be here doing her thing today. Uh, what, what would you rather have done? Look for something that you may have misplaced or go see the actress you wanted to go see, right? We'll go do what we can to find it, but you, you choose what you want to do. And I, I would suggest you go enjoy the guest talk. And she's like, yeah, you're right, right? So, and of course, I'm wearing a Jane hat. I'm wearing the security shirt, wearing the, that uniform, the radio, everything like that. And got the, and I'm wearing the Jane hat. And I'm sitting in the office. I'm about to go, or I have to go head out to go do one of my runs or whatever whatever it was I was doing at the time. Someone walks by and says, oh, hey, this, this just got turned in. And uh, I'm just walk, I'm walking away. I'm walking, oh, hey. I go, oh, oh, I know exactly who's looking for that. They throw it at me. I, I walk into the, the guest talk room. Of course, I'm doing the uh, I'm doing the uh, uh, the roadie walk where I'm walking hunched over. And I'm like looking looking through the bench, looking, looking along the aisleways, all the aisleways here. There, there she is. So I sneak up behind her. She's actually in a row that I can actually access without interfering with the other guests. I guess she shows an end an row. So I go, I guess, behind her, and I tap her shoulder, and I go, tap, 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 and she's like, uh, I go, hold it all. She's like, Aah! and I go, there you go. And I go, just go away. Let her enjoy the rest of the week. Rest of it. So I made her day. It's those small moments like that, again, making those contributions. Like, sure, maybe, maybe I was a big hero in her eyes, whatever. But it's the small things that matter the most. So here we are, watching my perspective as a person volunteering for the show versus taking the break and then retiring completely and then going to the show completely different, completely night and day. Um, both have their equal aspects of awesomeness. A lot less drama, right? You don't have to worry about... There is, you can't avoid it. Um, I've had to deal with drama from various members to the point where I've actually... I'm going to say it. I've removed, I've removed guests like removed celebrity guests from the show I mean, I've been, or, or been on the team that's done so. Um, removed media. Uh, we had a company that was given media accreditation and they went around and harassed, uh, harassed attendees. Oh, it was awful. So here we are throwing back to my comment earlier about a major, a major, major, major network having their representative destroy a prop versus people with media credentials going ahead and exploiting and, and harassing attendees. We removed them. I was part of the team that, you're out of here. You're leaving or you're being made to leave. And the cops were about five minutes uh, return, uh, five minutes out by the time they actually left. So I named no, I named no names because I don't think they deserve the, the infamy. I think uh, this is around 2007 that happened. And uh, yeah, it was 2007. It was Polaris 21. It was the very first year Polaris was changed from Toronto Trek. But going back to drama, yes, drama happens everywhere. The problem is it's, it's the, the seriousness of it. Drama, uh, for me, that's serious is, hey, there's someone doing something they shouldn't be doing, period. Versus, oh, someone doesn't like anyone. I don't care. I'll work with anybody who wants to work. 
I've never had a problem at work. I call it work because we did a lot. Of, it was, it is is definitely a very very intensive labor labor wise, including Thursday mornings, Thursday nights, doing all the loading, all that loading, all that stuff that gets set up. That doesn't show up by magic, right? It has to get done. Someone's got to get it done. Um, all that beer isn't going to make it to the con suite by magic, and it's not going to make it up there. It's not going to make it up there in one piece without people doing the job correctly. My attitude's always been. We're all here to put put together a show. We're all here to get a common job done. Let's make it happen. Uh, but one thing's the things the drama uh, happens. It does happen. Things I don't accept are unethical, illegal behaviors. And I will give you a demonstration of one of them. Uh, I'm familiar with contract law, and uh, you ever heard of something about signing under duress? I haven't specifically, but like if you are like if you're being threatened to sign a contract, right? Basically, it's, uh, under duress is saying okay. You need to sign this or you're fired. You need to do this or you're out, right? Whenever you get, if someone's given a chance for a contract or everyone's given a chance to make an agreement, they have to have what's called due consideration. And due consideration can't be done in 10 minutes or seconds, right? Due consideration needs to be, okay, if you're sending somebody a legal letter, it needs to get someone of a legal standpoint to have a chance to read it, right? It's called consideration. Um, in 2006, August 2006, uh, I named no names, but this was... An event that was in, in operation. Um, one of the heads of the organization called up the head of an or, of a group that I'm familiar with and gave a whole bunch of directives saying, you need to sign this or you're fired. Not a, not a great standpoint for relationships? No, very, very wrong standpoint. Now, the person did sign off on it and said, okay, we're all, because we're better than that. Ironically enough, the person that made them do that uh, was in a job where they, had, they dealt with major contracts and they went out of business. So I just find it hilariously ironic that someone who did something very illegally, illegal contract-wise in the effort of doing what they wanted to do, uh, seeing that happen and then watching it bite them under, uh, professionally for their occupation, it just, I think it shows, you know, lack of ethics. You know, ethics will catch up to you if you can't do something the right way. But drama happens, I mean... I discussed it with one of the the big big boss of the organization, and that person came to realize how wrong that they were, and they agreed that okay, that should never have happened. We'll work better together, and we'll do what we can to do make things better. And, uh, but the fact that that entire breach of trust—I I dare is well, breach of trust is a criminal offense. That breach of ethics, breach of um, of uh, a common understanding—I I would say would be the best way of saying it that. Here we are working together, and you're going to say and do these kinds of things under threat, and then not even give that person a chance to talk, address the rest of the team and send out the message over that person's head and say, "Oh, he agreed to this." Well, no, you know, you were told to agree to it. Completely different, you know. Uh, a major coup was avoided to the point where, to the point where people may have not even showed up for the show, as they're like, "Hey, you're on your own. You want to." You want to play with the big boys, the big boys are going to run run you over. show did run. The person got smarter. Uh, that person, uh, my understanding, was no longer in that position to ever do that kind of crap again. I mean, thank you for that. Yeah, I mean, we learn. You, know, you do things wrong two or three times. You can make a couple of mistakes, but you make a bunch of big mistakes, and it's going to catch up to you. And I think that they learned from that, tried to do better. and uh, But in the end... All you can do is hold fast to what your own beliefs are 
I will never, never knowingly do something that I can't agree with. And, of course, that's going to cause drama. And drama happens when people disagree. And my only disagreement is doing things that are maybe, well, things that are unethical or, un- or illegal. And there's been many things illegal. For example, a show in Toronto uh, over a decade ago was selling blatantly illegal items under the criminal code. And there's documentation to show that that, or that show those organizers were told, these can't be here in Canada. This is illegal. You can't have these. And they're the organizers like, whatever, whatever, whatever. Well, they made the international news with their, of their stuff being, uh, or of the people arrested and stuff seized. So when you look at that aspect, okay, you were warned. You were warned and you were warned and you did nothing. How much of that crap got into the public because you couldn't use brain one to go, hey, what about this? Right? You couldn't even bother to pick up a phone and ask a question or go to someone and say, hey, what about this? Even if the internet wasn't available at your palm of your hand, this organization had lawyers on hand and they could have just called up and said, hey, what about this? They already had, uh, never bothered. That lack of ethics is unacceptable. Uh, based on what you've said, I have some ideas what it might be, but I won't ask. I will, however, ask about something a little bit different, but still related to ethics and um, drama. And uh, I think in your own words, WTFery. Yes. I want to try to keep this positive because I think one of the best part about fandom is when it is positive. And you've talked, you've told so many stories about the positive aspects of community. Oh, I, I have even my favorite year is 2003, and that that's an example of so much wonderful things. I'm gonna just I'm gonna start talking about all the wonderful stuff, and then I'm gonna lead into why it's so disappointing when I see people do things that are just just unbelievably stupid and wrong. I mean, I can understand stupidity. I mean. I, I work in a field where you see a lot of stupid things happen, and, and people do stupid stuff. But when people have been warned, hey, look, you can't do this, you can't do this, and then they claim to try to do better, and then they do even worse. That's when you got to realize, hey, what's going on here? Um, well, let's go back to 2003. Again, that hotel, you see the best in people, and you, these, these people were losing their jobs. They provided the best service you can ever think of for a show, for, for an event. Uh, I, I, I don't mean to sound... Um, overly emotional about it, but I have very fond memories of that year. We were taking over the hotel and moving couches, blocking elevators up till 3 o'clock in the morning where people were exiting elevators would walk into a couch and just basically flop onto the couch and then join our conversations. Okay, we took over the roof. The staff let us go up on the roof. There there were two twin towers for the hotel and they're exchanging laser flashes with each other across across the way. I, things that only make sense at three o'clock in the morning up on the roof of a hotel in Toronto. Yeah, and, at a con- only at a convention. Oh, and again, of course, you have very smart people that go to these shows and very wonderful people that contribute so much. And it was a very stressful year too because that year a major guest canceled out. Uh, I believe it was James Marsters from Buffy. That's uh, Spike. I believe so. I was ironically enough, I'm not a Buffy fan. I even have a story about that. Uh, but let's go finish the story about positivity. You talk about positivity sounds like such a, uh, a cliche word at this point, but I think good vibes. Things that the things that make you want to be a part of this group. Uh, I met a very special person, and uh, we had some very wonderful times together before and after. I have memories. I mean, sometimes you have to. It's like what Brad said. I'm paraphrasing. Where sometimes you have to stop reaching for the dreams and really enjoy the memories. You know, and I really have very fond memories. Uh, met some really awesome people, did some really cool shit, raised a lot of money for charity. We, we broke records for that year for for the, uh, I think, 
I think that year it was 15,000 for Ron Bonnell House. I think that was the, the total. And, you know, it's a great intrinsic feeling. Hey, I'm a part of that. There's nothing better than saying, I helped make that happen. It's like, hey, so you're not just throwing money down a rattle. It's, you know what's going to something good. And you know that there's some families that are going to be feeling a lot better. And you made a part of that. All of us made that happen. And being part of that is just a wonderful feeling. So you talk about positivity and you talk about that. WTF re happens when, well, you know what? Positivity is like you and I talking to each other right now. Out of really bad things happening, you talk about this convention with, with Spike, uh, uh, James Marsters quitting. Let me finish that story. With James Marsters quitting, uh, uh, the Buffy fans are like completely out of sorts. And that was one of the reasons why I didn't like, jo I, I just avoided anything with Joss Whedon. Oh, crap. It's the a, it's a Buffy people. I can't. Previous encounters, too. I just had no, pa I, I did my part. Yep, yeah. I had no patience engaging with them. I said, okay, do your thing, whatever. Uh, do your do your track go to have fun whatever as long as you're abiding by the rules I don't care have fun that's what you're here for but ironically enough I had someone tell me at a convention hey you look like Jane and I just Jane being a character from Firefly from from Joss Whedon and I just said well, isn't Jane's a girl's name and uh, <laughs> and they were laughing and I'm like completely dumbfounded because I'm like what the heck is going on here and then I discovered Firefly in 2005 through other geek friends. They said, hey, the movie got, they told me the story how the movie was giving me, me serenity, well, how the fans work together to make this happen. So we're going to go back to positive, positive interactions where people, bad things happening to make good things happen with other people to get together and make something awesome happen. Firefly is just like that. All the fans, they lost their show. I'm a Jericho fan. Nuts. Jericho got canceled and the, and the fans sent tons of nuts to CBS and they got donated because nuts was the last word said yeah, by the character yeah. in the in the, the, the season-ending cliffhanger, and the nuts were all shipped to CBS as protest, and it got the show renewed for like seven episodes or whatever. Um, but the, the voice was heard, and at least in the food, and it was donated to charity. Okay, so it was almost like a win-win-win in that situation. But turning up negative into a positive, uh, uh, turning the negative of James Mercer's waiting uh, canceling on the show. Fine, I didn't like the Buffy fans. Didn't have to deal with. Oh, that's a uh, I don't care for the Joss stuff. And then finding out about Firefly 2005, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm watching the first disc because we had a watch ahead of the movie, Serenity. And by, by the time I'm watching the second DVD, I'm like, oh, I can really pull off a good Jane costume. And, you know, I'm not putting myself on a pedestal, but I do. Um, so turning all these negatives into a positive, right? Learning how the community works. And, okay, you know what? I wasn't a fan of the Buffy fans before. Fine. But Joss Whedon is my master now. <laughs> so you look at that aspect and okay, you know, some things, some people were acting really stupid and saying really bad, awful, untrue things when we got how the convention runs. Because that is that the whole the convention itself was run very ethically and they struggled that year. They struggled and struggled and struggled in 2003. A lot of really bad, a lot of things went against it and they made it happen. And I praise everybody who worked so hard together and I praise the hotel staff. So turning all these negatives into a positive was a great thing. And then. The reason why you and I are in communication, yes, a very positive yeah. thing. A very positive thing came out of something very negative. You had something very bad happen to you in relation to someone that we both know here in the Waterloo region. You had something. I'm not gonna, we're not going to talk about that. No, here. no, no. But what that did was, I was talking about situations with that individual and the continued issues that people need to be aware of because potentially there are victims involved. And you saw that uh, that communication on social media, and you made contact with me because of that. And okay, so 
we shared stories and it was like, oh. And then when you think to yourself, when people can't do anything more wrong, you get more WTFery. Um, I'm not going to, I'm trying not to yell, what the frack? We'll say that. We'll, we'll, we'll do <laughs> a whole, there are lots of other words that we can use. But you talk about um, how people, there are there is that element. There is that element of very questionable behavior at best where people will do things to aggrandize themselves at others' expenses is probably the best way of putting it. And they'll do that, they'll do that uh, as much as it'll benefit them, and they'll also cajole the person that they're exploiting until that person gets wise. And unfortunately, you see that in all types of aspects. Uh, again, there was a media company that showed up at a convention, and we kicked them out, and they were... You watch, I don't want to use the S word, I don't want to use the sociopath word, but you watch that per- pervasive, persistent action where it's pathological, where how you watch someone, how they interact with someone, you they just reach that line where, okay, you're not reaching that line yet, but you're reaching that line quite a bit. You're just not crossing the border. It's like you have an Austrian shepherd. It's, not, it's like a German shepherd who doesn't really reach the border. <laughs> yeah, that was from George Carlin. I stole it from him. Um, but you watch how people how they they push boundaries. Now, pushing boundaries is can be a good thing for innovation. If you it, it, pushing boundaries is good for hey, why don't we try something for this and why don't we do a show like that? That's okay. Versus boundaries of hey, I'm going to use something that doesn't belong to me and use it for my own benefit. And say that I'm allowed to use it, and use it for and use it for how I want to. But the person who actually owns that property is completely clueless. And I'm not just talking about I'm not just talking about advertising. I'm talking about how people who owns physical property, someone who actually owns owns physical property, being directly impacted by people who do things behind their back. And there is unfortunately that element. And to that, I say the best solution to that is. Again, reading back to communication. Communications, even with the use of force chart and with the police, it's all about communication. As long as you're talking, as long as you're breathing, you're talking and listening, you've got, you've got a, uh, um, a chance for resonance. You've got a chance for understanding. You've got a chance for people to say, hey, what's really going on here? So I think when it comes to negativity, I think the best aspect to deal with that, I think if that answers the question, is to get it up in the open and get people to speak truthfully. And answer honestly and use facts because uh, I'm not going to go into details here, but I've presented so many facts, plain and black and white. You've seen them for yourself. Yep. Where yeah. people who actually know what's going on say it's no, where people who are trying to pull pull crap are saying yes. And what's really tragic is that aside from that, it's people who are lying to themselves the most and trying to convince themselves convince themselves of what they're doing is right. But they're just, they're hurting themselves, really. They're, they're not just victimizing other people, but they're victimizing their own integrity and victimizing their own perception of reality to say, hey, I'm allowed to do this, but you're not. There's going to come a time when you're doing something you're not allowed to, and you're going to get caught. Go on a lot about ethics. Ethics are very, very important to me. And that's one of the reasons why, how I choose where I go. If you can't run an honest show, I'm not going to be a part of it. I mean, you, you may not have the best programming, fine. You may not have the best aspect, but... If you're running a decent show where people are having fun and everyone's above board how they do things, I'll make time for it. I'll enjoy it. And that's just how I am. And I just, I'm not, 
and I don't see a problem on that. Yeah. Well, but, and, and there have been, uh, that's especially re uh, relevant because recently there have been a lot of high-profile conventions that have been canceled, not because of um, people making honest mistakes, but, huh. but um, potentially deliberately misleading people. Well, absolutely. And uh, I don't want to dig too much into that. Although, um, and we could also talk about how <laughs> people are speaking for, uh, coming forward about uh, individuals and wrongdoing in conventions and stuff. Oh, but that yeah, goes tons so, of that going well, on. There's tons of that going We can go on and on. I mean, I think it's very important that these, these words get healed. But again, it all goes into communication, bringing things to light. Because the more, the more you bury something, the more it's going to happen. It's going to fester. It's like covering a wound that needs to be that needs to be lanced and cleaned, right? You need to confront it. You need to say, okay, this is not right. We can make it right. It's up to us to say what we're going to do. And um, and then, Harry, I'm talking about going into the light because I'd like to talk about a topic. You asked me, you gave me some questions I asked ahead of time here, and I got one I really want to talk about. So, well, but, um, and which which question is that specifically? It's a question of what's my most memorable moment oh, at a convention. Because yeah. I was going to try to connect the dots and say, you know, that can often lead a very to a very bad memory. Oh, but <laughs> uh, no, very uh, wonderful. I have wonderful memories, um, and you have to forgive me because there's. I'm going to end this conversation and. Ten minutes afterwards, I'm going to go, oh, I should have talked about that. Oh, I should have talked about that. So, so, it's, it's, so I already know that it's not the couches at uh, no, no, at Polaris. No, uh, give, me, give me some context. Again, I talk about how I love the shows because I, it's absolute love. Uh, because wonderful, wonderful people. I can name some names, so many names. I'm not going to do that. But when it comes to the show, it has nothing. It's, it's not so much the celebrity. They attract, sure. It brings... It does bring in the fans, it makes the fans happy, and, and, and it makes people want to come back. I say there's, there's definitely a, it's definitely a selling point, let's just say that, but I think it's the community. But I think it's what people do. And uh, let's putting it into context, this thing that happened in 2007 was far better than what happened in 2011 when I was attending Polaris, formerly Toronto Trek. I was dressed up as Jane Cobb, and uh, Adam Baldwin was the guest and he had seen me backstage preparing for uh, the Masquerade costume contest. And he saw me and literally called to me, grabbed me, and pulled me into his interview with him on Space Channel. Fun. Oh, yeah. It was fantastic. And uh, I don't remember what I said, but apparently I did really well because people were going, <laughs> people in Warlord Region were recognizing me going, hey, and I wasn't even wearing the hat. So I'm like, okay, that was, uh, that's pretty cool. I saw you on Space Channel. And then I, I've been on Space Channel so many times. Oh, gods. Uh, I was on there back when um, we had Clyde Christian in 1999 show up at uh, Silver Snail, and friends of mine we all dressed up as Babylon Five characters, and I wore a character. I was dressed up as a character, and, and when we went to Speaker's Corner and did a quick little bit back when Speaker's Corner was a thing, and this is a well, it doesn't really be a convention thing, but and I, don't, I remember doing something with there. It was kind of funny, and I'm walking down the street in Kitchener two weeks later, and a group of three people. And two of them are staring at me going, you, you, you're that guy that was on Speaker's Corner. I'm like, hi. And <laughs> i like, cool. 14, I'm in my 14 minutes, minutes of fame here. That's great. Uh, I Back in uh, uh, 2011, I was also interviewed with uh, Kitchener Record. They did an article on me, which was really cool. We talked about fandom and conventions. But getting back to, I want to talk about uh, getting out involved. I'm going, stay on target, stay on target. He pulls me into his interview. He pulls me into his interview with him on, on uh, Space Channel, and then he mentions me on, up on stage the, uh, uh, during the guest talk. And then my phone starts ringing. It's on, my, it's on mute. And, of course, me being retired from having worked the conventions, everybody still has my contact info. 
and it's all, hey, you're being mentioned up on stage. And I'm like, yeah, I'm waving. So like, so Adam points out me, points me out uh, to the stage uh, from the stage, and I'm like, I'm like, hi everybody, I'm dressed completely as Jane Cobb. Now I tell you that. Now I, I, you have to again, you have to forgive me because again, I try to go sequentially, but there's lots of tangents here. But I give you all that information because all that stuff is eclipsed by what the fans and my friends did for me in 2007. I'm getting a little weepy because I still get emotional about this. It was just wonderful. Um, I will mention a name. His name is Chill. Uh, that's his, his Klingon name. He's part of the Klingon uh, the group. He would wear Klingon makeup throughout the show, and he was the head stage ninja, one of the head stage ninjas for putting together the masquerade. And we had a, kind of like a one-upmanship one thing. And I'm also going to tell you another story which leads up to this. In 2000, he had two Klingon swords, Batless, I think they were called. Yep, yeah, that's what yeah, they're called. I, I have to, you have to forgive my memory on what things were called. He had made them themselves before they were more, uh, more readily available commercially. They got stolen in 2000. Yeah. In 2003, at a convention meeting, they brought it up. Says, hey, this person's been with us for so many years, does so many awesome, wonderful things. He's been the most wonderful people you're ever going to meet. He, uh, they said, we're wondering if anybody here can just each chip in five bucks, because five bucks was a lot of money back in 2003. Everyone just chip in five bucks, and we're, we found a supplier, we're going to find something, we're going to buy, get him one, get him a bat left. I ran up with $20. And they were hoping within a month to have enough to get one, and they, within memory serves, two weeks, they had two. And we presented it to him as one of the last presentations at the masquerade, where the two security heads go like this, and they bow to him, handing off the swords, and he grabs them and howls and Klingon and Klingon uh, uh, salutation, and I still get weepy about that. And that's this guy. I was a part of making that happen. Make those again. Those moments. Those moments that make people. You see that at conventions. You wonder why. You talk about how getting old. So you going to be a part of that? Why would I want to not be a part of that? Why would you not want to be a part of a community of people doing stuff like that? You know it exists. It's not tangible, but you can't be awestruck by its presence. So it, all that, him and I had kind of like a, we're trying to get each other, okay? Well, he got me in 2007. I'm going to get a little weepy. I show up as Jane Cobb. I do a little skit on stage. Um, of course, the pre presenter is dressed up as Anara. And she goes, our next entrant, our love for him now ain't hard to explain, the hero of Canton. And she throws her hand up to the audience, the, the man they call, and the audience yells out, Jane. They play the music, out I come, we're dressed completely as Jane. And I'm doing the hand to the ear, cupping to the ear, Hulk Hogan style. And everyone's going crazy. I'm loving it. Okay, I'll be in my bunk. I'm going to take off. Next thing you know, the stage ninjas are all pushing me back out on stage. What's going on here? I heard from a little bird today that it's his birthday. Yeah, it was my birthday that weekend. 12 to 1,500 people singing happy birthday to me. What? It's on YouTube somewhere. I'm uh, getting a little emotional right now. Aww. I mean, again, it's moments like that. And you wonder why you want to be a part of that. So, sure, I do talk a lot. I'm very passionate. But I'm very passionate about what I, what I love. And I'm very passionate about what, what we can do together, all of us, as a community. I really appreciate that, you're, that you've taken the time to share what you love and to share that passion. Because I'm always touched to hear all these stories that people have to hear about their experiences, to hear about um, their positive experiences with fandom and how fandom has like made their lives better and more enriched. Oh, 
I can speak on that right now. I, you may not notice, but you may, may not know this or may not notice, but I'm very much an introvert. Uh, it took a lot to make me want to go up on stage. I hated giving speeches at school. They hated, hated. I just detested and feared. I think, well, I think hate is the not word. I think hate stems from fear. Fear is what creates hate. And I was afraid and so afraid of public speaking. And I go to this convention. I'm like, people are just like me. I'm a teenager. And I'm like, hey, you know what? This this is this is life forming right here. This is this is going to this is changing my adult perspective right here, right now. And I would never have done any stage work ever. My very first time doing stage work at Toronto Trek. I went up and did <laughs> I ran up and did a, a, a sword kata with a Klingon sword addresses the Klingon. Crowd loved it. What a rush. There's nothing like it. Hey, I can do this. I can do this. I can Okay, and, and being at Toronto Trek and being part of that kind of community helped me become a better person because I was able to find that confidence and do things and do and, and contribute in such a way and, and be a part of something that I never thought I could reach that level. Now I've got no problem walking. You know, look at my, my career choice. I've, uh, my career choices. I'm sometimes very profile, very uh, uh, prolifically or pro, uh, big profile, I guess the word I'm looking for here. I'm, you have to pardon me. I'm a little tired and I'm tired. The, the, the words come out as word salad sometimes. But here I am at a job where I choose to wear body armor just in case something bad happens. So I don't think I would ever have found that confidence within myself without having a better nurturing experience. Uh, convention. When you mention that you wear body armor on a day-to-day basis, it kind of brings your costume choices uh, <laughs> a little bit more into context. I mean, you could really be into aliens, which it sounds like you are. Oh, I love and and uh, Firefly and things like that. But uh, I mean, there's a theme there. Well, again, I think it's uh, it started with uh, being very pragmatic. I'm a very practical person, as in I never overspend for whatever I want to do. There are people that will. There are people that will say, oh, I need money, I can't afford rent, but they'll spend thousands on whatever it is, a hobby, even cosplayers will do it. Again, you need to find that balance. You need to find the ability to say, hey, prioritize. For me, it's all about being practical. So I do have access to certain types of gear that works very well. So, and I also happen to have a body that lends itself to making that stuff look really good. Okay, I'm six and a half feet tall, 270 pounds. You know, I, I, I am a very physical presence but I can make physically, physically present characters alive. So what am I, so I'm a fan, even before that, I was a huge fan of Snake Eyes from G.I. Joe. Ironically enough, he doesn't talk. He's a lot slimmer than me, but I make it work, right? Improvise, adapt, overcome. I take what doesn't work and I turn into what does work. It's just like an ECW, you don't have lights, trying. don't light them up. Right? Maybe if you're a wrestling fan, I go way back in the tape trading days of ECW and Okay, we don't have the we don't have the money for pyro. We don't have the money for lighting. Why go there? Turn off the lights for that. And make sure the ring can be seen, right? You know, highlight the 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 great, hide the negative, uh, or hide or hide the, the not so good stuff. So I, I love Snake Eyes. Um, I think it's because he, he's a he's a, a survivor with integrity. He's someone who does uh, read the GI Joe comics. The comics were very very mature. But I'm still a fan of G.I. Joe, the original 80s comic. I've met several times Larry Hama, who created G.I. Joe comic books. He's the one that actually created Snake Eyes. His parents were interned, tapping his internship uh, during World War II. 
And he went on and served in Vietnam, and that's where he got his weapons expertise. And he created G.I. Joe, which ironically, uh, I'm going to wrap this up quickly as possible, but I think this needs to be said, a lot of people don't know this, was that the 80s G.I. Joe was originally going to be Fury Force. It was going to be a special mission force working for Director Fury going against Hydra. Oh, fun. It was pitched as that, but it didn't work. But they liked the idea of a special mission force. So instead of fighting a serpentine force like Hydra, they're fighting a different type of serpent, Cobra. Look it up. It's, it's no, awesome. I, I, it's not that I don't believe you. It's just, yeah. I, it's just like, uh, oh. this doesn't work. Uh, sure, we'll just make another show. It, and it snakes. Was, yeah, and it was, and again, it broke so many boundaries. Right, it ended up being, ended up being a show that, or a, a franchise that was far more popular than I don't think they'd ever, uh, they ever, they would ever, uh, And of course, I dressed up as Snake Eyes at conventions. I went up on stage to Back in Black. Crowd loved it. In two thousand three, uh, at. Uh, uh, that uh, Toronto Trek convention previously, when I was up on stage, I was still in my ninja costume. I dressed up as Storm Shadow, directly the the, the, the white character ninja with the backpack full of swords and stuff. And I went up on stage, and the stage ninjas helped me out. We made it seem like I wasn't going to come up on stage. This is on YouTube. I'll send you the link. The stage ninjas that you're not supposed to see run across the stage. We shake the curtain like there's a fight. They play music from the Matrix, and they're all throwing themselves out on stage, including a security guy. And how did I come swing a pair of fake nunchucks? I think they're made of like uh, uh, plumber foam. And I just swing the chucks, throw them away. They're made of foam. Not gonna hurt anybody. And the crowds just laughing their heart, they're laughing their backsides off. And I raise my fist and I go Cobra. And the crowds just yeah. And then as I'm leaving, you hear someone yell back, Yo, Joe. So you know, yeah, <laughs> you. So again, favorite moments at conventions and favorite costumes. It's funny how they combine. Um, obviously Jane Cobb I, I love dressing up as Jane Cobb the mercenary from Firefly such an easy costume to do for me because people put on so much gear and makeup and like, I just throw on a hat which breathes really well put on a shirt, put on a pair of cargo pants put on a utility belt and people just drop their jaw they called me Canadian Jane at Dragon Con and then I, I walk in, it was like I walked into the Firefly party and it was li- literally like a um, a movie scene where the record player scratches and skips and everyone stops and stares at you and I'm like hi and of course I have a Canadian flag either it was in my hat or in my belt so I became Canadian Jane um, and of course my other favorite costume is uh, Colonial Marine from Aliens I got the full kit they even got the pulse rifle I named it Vera but the joke being that's the rifle that uh, the um, Jane uses in Firefly and uh we recreated scenes at conventions where we're doing the sweep and we end up getting killed. I love it. Even if I'm not even in red shirt anymore, I'm still getting killed on the job. Uh, again, these favorite costumes and things I like all wraps up and being able to play it out. Before I was calling a cosplay, we were arranging to have skits where people could enjoy themselves and we, we fund everything and do everything ourselves. Again, also kudos to the security team. Even if I was a part of it or wasn't a part of it, they made it happen so that they were, we were allowed to walk around a hotel room with very realistic look, hotel facility with realistic looking firearms to put on a show. And even the cops were standing there watching, going, cool. So, you know, we did something, we did something right. But yeah, it's, it was just those, those three costumes, uh, Snake Eyes, Jane, and, uh, Colonial Marine. Uh, and of course, well, Snake, when I did a one off of Storm Shadow, but that was just too hilarious. And then sometimes I do a one-off where I dress up as a Yep Yep from the Sesame Street Martians. Oh, right, right. Uh, lady, the two, the red one and the blue one. Yeah, yeah a friend yeah, of mine, we did that at uh, Con Bravo last year, and we 
it was the best eighteen dollars ever spent on fabric because it was just hilarious. We had so much fun. See, now that you mentioned you were at Combravo last year, I have a feeling that this is one of those situations where you've seen somebody in your life on multiple occasions, right? Until you, but, but never connected the dots. Because mm-hmm. I can guarantee that I saw someone going yip 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 yip, yip at Conbravo, and there can't be that many people. Um, there was one thing that I wanted to ask before we wrap up, and so you've talked about all these. You've talked about your experiences at conventions. You've talked about the amazing positive things that you personally have been able to do or have been part of. Uh, you've talked about the WTF read that goes on, and one thing that I'm taking away from all of this is that. Something that's been very important, very formative, has been this participation at conventions or even just in your fandom in general. And I was wondering what you would tell others, maybe folks that are a little bit less nerdy or a little bit less comfortable with themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say to them to encourage them to participate either in their fandom or to help out with these these shows? I uh, harken back to... Uh the, the original X movie from 2000 with uh, Patrick Stewart talking to the recently arrived uh, Senator Kelly, who's dying after the Magneto did this thing to him. We're not what you think. Uh, a lot of people rag on the X Men movies, the original ones, but I think they have some really good source material. Um, <clears throat> we're not what you think. I mean, I think what it is is it doesn't hurt to give something a try, just show up. If you make costumes, you want to just show up a show off a costume. I will guarantee you that if you have a costume of something, someone's going to recognize it and go. I will. I will almost guarantee that. Okay, uh, but there will be someone who recognizes what you dress up as. If just if you're not sure, just find a show. Uh, Con Bravo is a, a nicely run show in Hamilton. Uh, Genre Con uh, wrapped up uh, a week ago in Guelph. In Guelph. That's a show there. Um, now there's there's re- regular shows that happen in the GTA. They're called ToyCon, but they're more or less a trade show for people selling selling stuff. They do sometimes have cosplay costume contests, but it's more or less primarily a uh, walk around and buy stuff. But it's also a well run walk around and buy stuff show. I know the person that runs it, really good person, uh, Steve, who runs the ToyCon events, really good guy, fantastic person. Um, Fan cons, you know, like even even Enemy North, I will give you a costume about Enemy North. They can sell it for that fast. Um, they do they do sell it really fast. Your best option is to try to go for a Sunday uh, and just walk around, catch the atmosphere. Uh, there's Ad Astra. Uh, that's more of a more mature event, uh, more literary. But in all honesty, try a show and just attend as a person. Just what you would normally wear, what you would normally do, just. If you're not sure what it's all about, just go and just check it out. You owe it to yourself just to say, hey, what's really going on here? What's, uh, uh, you can show up and just walk into some of the, lot, lot of the common areas, and the common areas don't require memberships. Because let's say, for example, like last uh, weekend at JonraCon, they've got the registration tables and information tables, and they got uh, volunteers and staff available, and you can walk up and look into the panel rooms and find out what they're talking about. And you can walk into well, to the entranceway of the dealer's room and see what's up for offer. And, you know, and I bought something really cool at the dealer's room this year, too. It's a pillow that says it's uh, it's not hoarding if your shit is cool. And uh, I think it's, uh, I think it spoke to me in very various levels. So I had to go support that. Uh, she made it herself, so I had to go support some uh, local business. But really, 
more, there's, we're not what you think. There's more of us than you think. And there's so many places you can go and look and find an experience that will be worth your travels. And it doesn't hurt to try once. The worst thing that can happen is you're out a little bit of money and time, but now you know that it's not for you. You can just t- you don't you don't have to jive in. You you can throw your foot in the water. I feel like uh, the worst thing that could happen is you find out you really love it, and then um, that's, <laughs> that's there goes your, your money. That, yeah, that's your life now. Uh, <laughs> and you know what? And it's been a wonderful life. It has been. Um, I went to my very first convention with fifty dollars to my name, and I wouldn't have trained it for the world because it was one of the most amazing eye-opening experiences that I just it changed my life. Going to Toronto Trek 8 in 1994 changed my life. I found something that was missing in my life, something that I can be a, a contribute to and it ended up being such I keep on saying wonderful but it what it was and I get and I, I I sound a little emotional right now and I sound I don't want to sound dramatic but it really was an enlightening very um, fulfilling experience many levels and not just hey i'm meeting people i like and meeting people i really like nudge nudge wink wink no it's beyond that it's finding a greater community and watching how people can be a part of something greater than themselves walter it has been a pleasure chatting with you um before we go is there any cool cause that you'd like to to make known to the world uh i would heartily recommend uh donating to victim services uh the region they do wonderful help they helped my mom when she was assaulted. Uh, she was assaulted uh, uh, by a former close friend, October 2016, uh, and they were very wonderful and helped her out. And I think they don't get enough uh, credit for the work that they do in Waterloo, Wellington. So look them up. Uh, great group of people. And uh, yeah, that's a cool cause right there. Uh, if you enjoyed this and you'd like to hear more of Anthropological, you want to hear more stories from fans, whether it be about conventions or Firefly, or aliens, all of the things that we've covered on the show, you can check out fanthropological.com or you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at the next cast. Uh, again, Walter, thank you so much for chatting with us. I really am. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, hopefully not slap myself upside the head and go, <laughs> I should have talked about that, but I think I covered quite a bit. Okay, and uh, if you find that there was stuff that we missed, then maybe there's an opportunity for a future episode. Repeat performance. Repeat performance. Uh, <laughs> but since Nick G is not here, I will say the thing that he says, and that is, until next time, we'll see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.